Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast by Jim Power and Chris Johns that looks at the major political, economic and financial developments around the world from a uniquely Anglo-Irish perspective. All our podcasts can be found at our Substack site and all good podcast platforms. Hi, Chris. Uh, good to talk. Uh, today, a uh, few topics I think are worth discussing. We've had inflation data out of the United States and Ireland over the last week, which I think warrant discussion, uh, particularly in the context of where interest rates go from here. Um, and the second thing I'd like to talk about is Joe Biden's visit to Ireland and you know what you make of it, and I'll give you my views on it. And I, I suppose a really important element is what does it mean for Ireland and its relationship with the United States? And secondly, um, is there an ageist thing here? You know, is it appropriate for um, a man who will be 82 in putting himself forward as the next president of the United States? So yeah, I think the age thing is a really interesting question. But shall we take the inflation stuff first? I'll start off with the United States. Um, we got the March figure. Um, the headline rate has fallen from 6% to 5%. That's the lowest reading since May 2021. It increased by just 0.1% on the month. Um, however, and this is the story everywhere, and I'll be reflecting this in my analysis of Irish inflation in a second, but uh, if you strip energy out, the picture is a lot less compelling. Um, and that's you know, core inflation in the United States, which strips out volatile food and energy prices, um, is increased by 0.4% in the month. And the, the rate remains stubbornly high at 5.6%. So what we're seeing on the US inflation side is basically energy prices are falling and that's reflecting global forces. But then if you look at the price of other goods and services, housing costs are, as they call it in the United States, the shelter index 8.2% year on year. 
transportation services up 13.9%. Recreation costs are rising strongly. Personal care costs are rising strongly. Apparel rising strongly. New vehicle prices rising strongly. So this is a theme. Um, you know, while the headline rate is coming down, um, underlying inflation pressures are still very, very strong. And that's why uh, there is a consensus view that the Federal Reserve will increase interest rates again at the May meeting. Um, a quarter percent um, is the market forecast at this point in time. So clearly, you know, central bankers are very, very concerned about the manner in which inflation is proving sticky and stubbornly high. And of course, this was reflected in the IMF's global economic outlook we spoke about in the last podcast, which was published earlier this week. Um, The other element of the United States economy, I think that will have a huge influence on what the Federal Reserve does or does not do over the coming months is the labour market. And last Friday, um, non-farm payrolls in March up by 236,000. That was the lowest monthly increase since December 2020. Um, And just to put that in context, between April 22 and March 23, that's a 12-month period, uh, the average increase was 345,417. As I say, in March, uh, we were at 236,000. It's it's suggesting uh, that the you know, the pace of growth in employment is starting to slow down. Uh, but given the sort of employment that's been created over the last couple of years in the United States, uh, there should be no surprise here because eventually, you know, it, it will start to moderate. But the unemployment rate is still at a very low level of three and a half percent. So, you know, that, of course, feeds in because one of the key drivers of inflation in the system, potentially, and it's something central bankers really worry about, is um, what happens on the labor market front and what happens wage costs. And it's funny, maybe I'm missing something here, Chris, but it strikes me that central bankers talk a lot about wage pressures. They talk a lot less about profit margins. I mean, is is there a possibility that actually... Um, many businesses are just using this high inflation environment to pass on higher prices and increase margins. We don't know for sure what's going on, Jim, because these things often are murky, even when we have lots of data and we won't get much data for a while. But one of the hints that we will get over the next few weeks will be the uh, reporting season for US company profits in the three months that have just ended, the first quarter that ended in March. And I think that it's widely expected to be a very difficult earnings season. Lots of companies have already been guiding that because of input cost inflation there and the sluggish economy, so-called, uh, that their profits will be um, uh, not particularly spectacular. But digging into those numbers will be very, very important to see if the current bout of inflation that we've seen worldwide is being used by companies, particularly those in not particularly competitive industries, what economists call oligopolies or even monopolies, whether they're using the current bout of inflation to sneak in profit margin increases. And there are hints of that around the place. Uh, I think that generally speaking, particularly in the US, but not um, restricted to just there, we live in a world where there is an absence of competition rather than its presence. Uh, 
Um, I think that, you know, the winner takes all world that we live in extends to companies and their profits as well. We can see that in many different ways. It's not all companies. Um, it's, it's only particular uh, sectors, if you like. But there are hints of it. And one of the hints that I think that we're starting to see, it's only a hint, it's nothing definitive yet, is in food inflation. Now, uh, the data in the UK, for example, is exemplary in this regard. For the last number of years, if you just chart uh, agricultural input prices in the UK and agricultural output prices, you see that they track each other over time very, very closely. And if they were to parting, uh, parting the ways in any serious ways, it wouldn't be uh, definitively a profit margin change, but it would be certainly a hint that farmers and food producers are changing their profit margins. And over time, it doesn't happen. But in the most recent year that we have data for, agricultural input prices went up by two percentage points less than agricultural output prices. It's only one data point. It doesn't necessarily signify anything untoward, but it is one of those hints. And more generally, the thing that I've noticed is that within your numbers for inflation that you've just quoted there for Ireland, when I look at the UK's food price inflation, for example, it's even worse. We have 18% year-over-year food price inflation. Supermarket prices are going up by an extraordinary rate. And I ask the question, why? You might think it's a stupid question because we know why, because uh, agricultural commodity prices, the price of energy, so many other things, so many inputs into shop prices are going up. Yes and no. One of the things that I look at, for example, as a, as a bellwether for what agricultural commodity prices are doing generally is wheat prices. And they're now back to where they were um, five years ago. And they've basically almost halved since their peak of last summer. So agricultural input prices are coming down quite a lot. That month that I quoted data for for the UK, although the input prices were up 15% over the year, on the month they'd fallen. And I think that's also uh, broadly true elsewhere, including Ireland, C correct me if I'm wrong. So either it's just lags in the system, and I'm being overly suspicious about uh, firms uh, in all sectors, not just agriculture, disguising, hiding, or just trying it on when it comes to profit margin increases, and that this will all wash out. And I think that for certain sectors, that is true. But I do think we need to be very aware that, that profit margins are very healthy in lots of sectors, and they might turn out to be healthier. Another sector where you always get uh, profit margin increases, uh, not so much hidden, but just snuck in uh, when you are in the kind of global environment that we're in at the moment, is banking. Because when you're in this environment of higher inflation and interest rates going up, guess what happens? Banks widen their profit margins by putting up their deposit rates, the rates that they pay us for our bank deposits, by less than the money that they're getting when they lend those deposits out. That's a bank's profit margin. I'm struck by the difference between UK and Irish deposit rates, what punters like you and me can get in our high street banks, Jim. I can get 4% for my deposits in the UK. I have to look hard. It's easy to get three. If you look hard enough, you'll get four. I think that's orders of magnitude greater than anything we, you can get for your um, vast cash pile, Jim. Is that right? 
Um, I actually haven't checked it out in a while, Chris, but I, I suspect that you'd probably be lucky to get a half percent on deposits at the moment in the Irish banking system. I'm subject to correction on that, but that's that is my sense. Um, looking at the Irish inflation data yesterday and how it ties into all of this, um, the headline rate fell from eight and a half to seven point seven percent. Um, and it's largely due to significant declines in energy. And that's reflected in petrol, diesel, home heating oil on a year on year basis falling very significantly. But then if you look at other parts, um, this is consistent with what I described in the United States, you know, food price inflation. I get back to the margin issue there in a second, but food price inflation is running at 13.3%. Uh, clothing and footwear inflation running at 6.7%. And we haven't seen inflation in that sector for a long, long time over very many years. And I would have always argued the reason why there was consistent downward pressure on clothing and footwear prices was globalization. And it was basically very low cost countries um, swamping the world with cheap clothing. Uh, but there's, there's something happening there again, and perhaps it ties into the deglobalization fear that the IMF alluded to in its forecast this week. Um, where else? Uh, accommodation prices, 19.1% year on year in March. Um, mortgage costs, and this is reflecting what the European Central Bank is doing, but for people on variable rate mortgages, on tracker mortgages, the average mortgage rate is up by 35.3% over the last 12 months and air travel up by 35.6% despite the fact that um, you know oil prices are, have fallen. But of course, the airline industry would say, well, we hedge um, a lot of our fuel costs anyway. So if fuel prices do fall, there will be a time lag before it's reflected in um, airfares. But anyway, that's that that's that's an issue. But you can see from the Irish inflation data, very similar to the United States, very similar to what's happening in Europe. And it's the concern for central bankers. The key factor driving the headline rate in a downward direction um, is energy. And outside of that, we're still seeing a lot of very sticky goods and service price inflation in the system. Getting back to your discussion about margins, um, as I said, in the food area, as I said there, 13.3% year on year, bread prices are up about 15%. And um, I, I, was, I just took a quick look at what's happening on the agricultural input and output side. And in the year to um, February, agricultural input prices were up by 16.4%, uh, and, and that's been driven by seed prices, energy, and fertilizer in the main. Um, output prices up by 16.3% year on year, almost identical. So there is no suggestion that actually farmers' margins or the primary producer margins are increasing. So it's, 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 it's what happens between the primary producer and the retailer that's where the interesting story is to be told on the margin front. And um, I, I, I suspect you are correct that there certainly is an element of many businesses using this opportunity of higher inflation to actually push through higher prices and um, increase margins. The one thing I would say um, in defense of the, the supply chain and the food side 
for 20 years up to 2021, basically, we've seen onwards ongoing price depression in food prices. Um, and that's reflecting globalization. It's reflecting the nature of the retail grocery market here. Um, and maybe we are now seeing um, an opportunity being availed of by retailers and others in the supply chain to try and improve their margins a little bit. That's uh, but it's an interesting story. But Chris, you, you have a lot more time in your hands than I have. Uh, you read a lot more than I have time to do. Have you seen central bankers talk much about profit margins? No, I haven't seen anything at all. I've seen one or two analysts talk about it, and it is one or two. It isn't very many. Most stock market analysts are focused on the fact that I spoke about earlier on, which is that the profit season isn't going to be a good one, is, is the central expectation, particularly in the United States. And that, that's where all of their attention lies. The, uh, the idea that to some firms, some sectors are sneaking in profit margin increases is not a widespread theme out there. I've not seen any central banker, and I'm willing to be corrected on this, make any speeches about this. Uh, the only central banker I've seen make speeches about behavior, if you like, of people in the, the cost uh, nexus is Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, who's appealed to workers not to put um, big wage demands in, with the emphasis has been on on wages. They they obsess about wages because they're sixty to seventy percent of input costs, usually give or take. But that economy wide is is the rule of thumb that we use. Um, but these other prices, although not as significant as arithmetically important as wages, they are they are uh, very important. If you think about the output price of any good or service, it's going to be the cost of inputs, sixty to seventy percent of which is wages. Um, and then 30 to 40% is going to be uh, other costs, uh, commodities in particular. Um, but the third element of any price is the profit margin, and that doesn't receive nearly enough attention. I think the caveat that you entered there about agriculture in particular, that they've been under severe pressure, their margins, for decades now in many countries, including Ireland. And indeed, some agricultural firms have Farmers, in particular, in certain sectors at least, have been suffering from price deflation and margin pressures. Um, I th and so, so, in a sense, we're getting some kind of sustainability restored to agricultural profit margins. That needs to be said, because um, I think that, at least in part, it's true. So um, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It, it may well indeed be a good thing for, for both the people concerned and for the sustainability of these domestically-based industries. Um, but it's not just about agriculture I'm interested in. I'm going to be looking very closely across the board at all of the firms that are going to be reporting now over the next few weeks for any hints at all that their margins have either gone up or that they haven't fallen by as much as analysts were previously expecting. Okay. Chris, mo moving on... Um... I want to talk about Biden and his trip to Ireland. But before I do, um, I was watching a speech from Liz Truss and she's reemerged in recent days. And um, she was talking about the role of government in the economy, where there has been remarkable growth in this um, 
sense that government should be a lot more involved in the economy. Uh, she refers to the anti-growth movement and she talks about socialists in an environmental clothing. Uh, she talks about the woke culture and what it is to be a woman. Um, and she goes on and on like that. And she also attributes some of her problems to Biden, how she draws the connection. I'm not sure. But um, she that, that, that speech has got a lot of very negative reaction. OK, but I, I guess my perspective would be agree or disagree with the views she's expressing, you know, small state, libertarian, low tax. These are traditionally and typically the views of the center right. So that's her belief system. Uh, so fair enough. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm not sure that it, they're the beliefs of the center-right. The, the, certainly the views I think that she expresses um, are pretty extreme, and I would drop the word center from that from that description, but that, that that's a matter of opinion. Uh, more generally, the kind of things that she's saying, I, I think, are wrong. Um, in Dominic Cummings' words, I think they're crackers. Uh, and I'm surprised that she gets um, such an audience until I look at where she's actually speaking. She's speaking at right-wing think tanks in the United States. I have to tell you, Jim, she doesn't get much of an audience beyond the Daily Telegraph here in the UK. Uh, Nobody is listening to her. And indeed, the question that I see asked most often in social media and, and political analysts is, is why is anybody paying any attention to this person at all? She is thoroughly discredited. Um, she nearly wrecked the British financial system last summer. And now she um, is blaming anybody but herself for the difficulties that she caused and for the ending, we presume, and some of us might hope, of her serious political career. So I... I I find it baffling that uh, anybody would pay too much attention to what this person says, given what she has done. And, and what she has done was very, very serious. And still, the British economy is feeling its effects today. It's, 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 it was a dreadful, dreadful time. And the idea that this country could have put a person like that into power, into the highest elected office in the country, I think future historians will look back and wonder what the hell was going on in the UK at the time. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally on all fronts there. Um, looking at Biden's trip to Ireland, um, his longest overseas visit since his presidency began, um, back to his the homeland of his um, 
predecessors. Okay, so it's, I think that's the word you're looking for there. That's exactly um, an, an interesting um, visit. But there's a few things that strike me about it. Um, n- number one, um, he's got an incredibly warm reaction here and reception um, has gone down really well. And he's thrown out a lot of palaver about his Irishness and all, all of that. He made a few major gaffes, such as um, alluding to his cousin Rob Carney and the Irish rugby team defeating the Black and Tans in Soldiers Field in Chicago there a few years ago. Um, people before Profit actually boycotted his uh, speech in the Dáil on Thursday evening, um, but they boycotted by not turning up. Um, Chris, Chris Andrews, the Sinn Féin TD, turned up in a Palestinian jersey. Fair enough. Um, but it the people before Profit boycott was a boycott, whereas I remember back in 1984 when Ronald Reagan addressed the doll. Uh, there was a major protest outside the doll, and there was four TDs at the time, to my knowledge, who stood up and walked out of the doll as he started speaking and joined the protests out the front. They were Pranchius de Rossa, Tomás mm-hmm. McGill, Michael D. Higgins and Tony Gregory. And of course, um, how things have changed for Michael D. because we saw him kowtowing to uh, President Biden in the Oris Nukdaron um, on Thursday morning. So um, things change, but generally uh, the reaction has been incredibly positive here. And, and it is quite amazing for a country of 5.1 million people that the President of the United States would spend four days um, visiting the country. And uh, you have you know people like Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, um, getting out of a car, walking into the doll yesterday. So it's 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 a really interesting phenomenon. And it just shows, I guess, the huge affinity between, or cultural affinity between uh, the United States and Ireland. Of course, that died totally during the Trump presidency, but um, it has certainly revived strongly during the Biden presidency. And um, I, I suspect from an Irish perspective, Ireland would love to see another four years of Biden in power because he certainly is more amenable to Ireland than um, some of the alternatives out there at the moment. But what do you think of a man who's 80 at the moment, will be 82 at the next election? And if he were to win that election, he'd be ruling from the age of 82 to 86. Well, I have mixed feelings, Jim, and they stem from essentially looking at the gaffes, the ones that he very uh, publicly made in Ireland over the last few days, plus others that he has made during the term of his presidency. And at best, they're embarrassing um, or funny, depending on your perspective. Uh, At worst, they are indicative of some kind of cognitive decline. I'm no medical person, and I have no comment to make about that, but I know others have suggested Donald Trump has suggested that uh, Joe Biden's age is consistent with cognitive decline, and that he's no, ga- wouldn't he? And that his gaffes are consistent with that. Um, I, in these sorts of things, Jim, I tried to, very hard with all politicians. Actually, is is to aim off is to not uh, look at what they say as being definitive, but what they actually do. And here's the irony of people before profit and other lefties like that boycotting them, because Joe Biden. Um, in the States, in certain quarters, is regarded as a bit of a communist president. He's very interventionist. 
Um, in US terms, he's very progressive in terms of his social policies. But in terms of his economics, he's incredibly interventionist in the economy. And we've mentioned it before on this pod, uh, this particular, but it's not restricted to this particular um, act that he did last year, the Inflation Reduction Act, which has caused huge consternation, quite rightly, in both Brussels and London because of the subsidies and gifts and encouragement that it's given to US technology firms and US alternative energy firms to develop uh, their thing, to invest in America and not elsewhere. And it's regarded as being quite anti-competitive. It's it's regarded over here as being something that's going to lead American firms to, to steal a march in so many different sectors, particularly technology and alternative energy. And it's the kind of intervention in the economy that lefties always want governments to do. So it's ironic that left-wing parties are boycotting what in America is seen as quite a left-wing president from what he does, not so much from what he says, but, but his actual actions. And the the final thing about looking at some, look what somebody does, he's been an, economically an incredibly successful president. If, if, you, if, the, if the United States votes on the job creation record of Joe Biden versus the job creation record of Donald Trump, Biden will win, hands down. He's created millions more jobs than tr- Trump ever did. So uh, look at, if, if I look at what he's doing, I would say he's been a very good president economically. The US economy is in fantastic shape. It's growing. Um, its inflation is now down to 5%, and it's at full employment. Um, in the bizarre world that economists live in, the US actually has more than full employment. Um, it, it, it almost has too many jobs. That's the tight labor market that we've spoken about earlier on. And so um, I think that if I put all that together, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt. I'd worry about his gaffes, but on the grounds of hard appraisal of the outcome of his economic and social policies, um, he's he's done a blooming good job as far as I can see. What do you think? Yeah, you say he's created so many jobs and it was four and a half million in the last 12 months which is phenomenal uh, but what has he done to create those jobs I mean in other words how influential is the president in terms of driving these job creation across the economy well that's a, a very tough question to answer and the answer is is usually not very not very influential because a lot of what's going on contemporaneously is what happened years ago Sometimes it's never got anything to do with the president's economic policies. It's what the economy is doing from the ground up rather than the top down. But the brutal fact is that political campaigns are often influenced by the jobs market, whether it's healthy or not. Presidents and prime ministers and uh, politicians everywhere always try to take credit for the job story when it's a positive one. And their opponents always have a go at them when unemployment is going up. So it's a, a piece of real politic, actually, that, that I think the thing that matters is that Joe Biden has not got in the way of job creation in the way that some presidents do. I think at the very least we can say that in that the, the environment in which he has operated, the, the, the circumstances of the, he hasn't made any big mistakes with when it comes to economic policy and arguably um, uh, not just the Inflation Reduction Act, but the previous uh, bills that he introduced during the pandemic era uh, of economic stimulus, yes, they led to inflation and contributed to the inflation problem we have. I think most economists now agree that 
Biden's stimulus and indeed the previous Trump stimulus to be to be complete and to be fair led to an awful lot of jobs being created, but also contributed to the inflation problem. So I think you can say Biden, by not getting in the way and by stimulating the economy, has had a hand, a big hand in a lot of the jobs, not all of them, but a lot of the jobs that have been created have been helped by Biden's economic policies. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. The, the whole neoliberal economic agenda has been buried around the world over the last five or six years. And, you know, we've seen the growth of Keynesian type interventionist um, political and economic management. And Biden certainly exemplifies that. And, you know, I, I, I guess he's been looking in the sense that ideologically, this is obviously where he wants to be. But he's been looking in the sense that circumstances have really allowed it happen because during the two years of COVID, Everybody all over the world, wanted, regardless of your ideological views, wanted as much um, government intervention as possible to support households, to support businesses through this unprecedented health crisis. And of course, then um, over the last 12 or 13 months with the Ukraine war, you know, the same thing. There's been significant intervention to try and uh, protect people against cost of living pressures and so on. So I guess circumstances have certainly facilitated and encouraged this huge level of government intervention in the economy. And um, as I say, it has taken hold everywhere and it is definitely the economic orthodoxy out there at the moment. Um, I have no doubt that at some stage it will reverse again. We'll get the next cycle, which is reducing government involvement and giving more back to free market ideology and so on. But very definitely, um, Biden has grabbed it. And as you say, he has definitely done nothing wrong and he's provided major support to the economy over the last couple of years. And you're correct, Trump actually started that process. Uh, but likewise, we've, we've seen it in spadefuls in this country as well, and indeed in most countries around the world. Um, looking at the visit from a UK perspective, some of the UK coverage has been incredibly bitter and negative and um there's there's all sorts of cartoons doing the rounds um i think the gaff he made about um rob karen and the irish team smashing the black and tans in chicago <laughs> that hasn't gone down well um and of course the fact that he's not going to attend the coronation um what wh what's going on i mean i get the impression that biden is very much um the irish american politician or indeed individual who has been very heavily um, schooled through the years by the, the nationalist agenda in Ireland or the Republican agenda, whatever you want to call it. And, and he very much reflects that tradition. Um, and, and clearly that's not going down well in the UK, particularly, you know, with people like uh, Arlene Foster, the DUP are going quite berserk about it. And the Telegraph and some other newspapers of that ilk um, have also taken grave exception to what Biden is doing at the moment. And uh, of course, we have Trump um, having a major go at Biden in this major global crisis. Um, he's taken a few days off to visit um the homeland of his ancestors. So it's uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, do, does it suggest that the special relationship between the UK and the United States has been further damaged? I don't think it ever existed. If it did, okay. it, it existed for ten minutes, or maybe for twelve months, to be precise, in nineteen forty-four, 
the term special relationship was invented by Winston Churchill yeah. when he was trying very hard to keep the Americans on side involved in World War II. Um, if it existed at all back then, and to an extent it did, it was a relationship. It was a close one. Whether it was special, I don't know. The US had many allies during the Second World War. Um, it all ended once the Second World War ended. And if you actually examine economic and political history of that era, you'll see all sorts of different things happened. Uh, Keynes lost the argument with the United States when the when Bretton Woods was being, for, uh, when the IMF was being formed at Bretton Woods in 1944. It was very much designed on American terms, not UK terms, despite Keynes quite literally killing himself in, in the effort to try and get the UK's way. The, the, um, the UK was essentially bankrupted in the aftermath of the Second World War by a stroke of the US president's pen when he signed an end to Lend-Lease and called in the loans. Uh, the British Empire, which was crumbling anyway, deservedly so, uh, was, was, was accelerated. The demise of that empire was accelerated by American foreign policy, including the economic side of it. And the relationship is purely transactional. American insiders in Washington, D.C., every time I've spoken to them about this, have just laughed at the idea that there is a special relationship. There is a relationship. Of course there is. And the commonalities, such as they are of the English language, do help. But it's purely transactional. It's whether or not um, who has the be best negotiating power, who has the negotiating heft in any given situation, be it trade or be it things like the Iraq war. And I have to say that every time US and UK interests collide, uh, there's only ever been one winner. So it's not much of a special relationship, Jim, to be honest. Okay. One one of the things I like about Biden is the fact that, you know, he's adopted a totally different approach to um global political relations. And, you know, he's 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 rolled back on a lot of the very antagonistic approach that Trump had to Europe in particular. So I, I like that because I think there was never a time for the West to be more united in the face of the challenge from China, Russia, etc., than at the current time. Uh, but in that context, I, I was quite disturbed by the reporting of Macron in China last week because it, it has struck me that since well, Angela Merkel was the de facto leader of Germany, she wasn't perfect. I mean, she cocked up big time on the energy agenda, for example, but she was a pretty decent leader of Europe. Um, Olaf Scholz definitely is not falling, has not fallen into that role. There's no doubt about that. So uh, by the process of elimination, Macron was becoming the leader of Europe. And I, I certainly think based on the reportage of what he said in China, um, he's blown that. And I, I find this quite extraordinary. Three years ago, Emmanuel Macron described NATO as brain dead. That's a yeah. quote. And more recently, he's fretted publicly over the possibility that Vladimir Putin might be humiliated in Ukraine. And there are many of us that hope that that's going to be the case, or indeed we think that that is indeed what has happened. Now, whether or not such uh, Macron's opinions display strategic nous, I think is still debated today. Um, but I'll hand the conclusion over to comedians, um, political comedians in, in Ukraine. And they have coined a new verb, and it's to Macron. 
And in Ukraine, to Macron is to worry about something, but do precisely nothing about it. Um, and I think that says a lot about how Macron is viewed is viewed there. Uh, I don't know what he's up to. The, the thing that he's done, I think, that worries me most is the Taiwan question and suggesting that Europe should stand aside uh, if there is a conflict uh, over the future of Taiwan. Uh, that, I think, just encourages or pushes us in a small way, hopefully, towards such an, an eventuality because part of the strategic thinking of anybody that's thinking of invading Taiwan is who else is going to get involved and if you think that you can do something with impunity, if you're a totalitarian government, you usually do. And it's whether or not there will be consequences. And suggesting that Europe will stand aside, I think, is uh, was, was a big strategic blunder. I agree totally. And uh, if there are strategists, in, military strategists in China um, using game theory, um, I think Macron certainly would have um, played into their game plan over the last couple of weeks so chris on that note we'll wrap good to talk have a great weekend thanks jim have a good one you have been listening to chris johns and jim power on the other hand we hope you enjoyed it our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.